0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Before we start, Bruce and I just wanted to say thank you to our friends at Trader Joe's, who are back as our presenting sponsor again for 2019.
2: Stu, not just the... uh... The place where I get my favorite dessert, the awesome Hold the Cones, the little mini ice cream cones that you and I have talked about. But uh, it's good because it's something where we shop every
1: week, and to have them part of the Audible, we couldn't be happier. They've been with us since we started this back up in August of 2017. They've been a great supporter of ours. Thank you, Trader Joe's. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. We are in downtown San Jose on the Friday before the national championship game. I think it's pretty sweet here, Stu. I know it's gotten a bad rap, but... Well, we'll talk about that. We're here with our special guest. You can uh, catch him on the AP Top 25 podcast, his own podcast that we've both appeared on, our friend Ralph Russo. Hey,
3: guys. Very up.
1: Should I actually hold the microphone? We're we going to pass the microphone
3: away. I'm okay. Come on, so, Ralph. You've so been in hotel that case- rooms where you passed something around before. So let's know. Make- oh, wow. Make sure. That's, you're making, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you're really jumping to the conclusions there or making big assumptions, but you're probably right. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, I've but heard you're stories right. about your old hair. So, and- so, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, thank you very much for having me. I like San Jose too, even though it seems to be getting a bit of a bad rap. It might not be the best place to play this particular game, but San Jose is fine.
2: Yeah, I think it's different. And I think the question is. You have two teams that are about as far away, both geographically and probably, I don't know what you'd say, just persona-wise yeah. than in Clemson. Culturally, be, yeah. Maybe, yeah, and so, but that's okay because look, I think it's a great one versus two matchup, and it's a different venue and it's different for everybody. Like I think we all liked Tampa because it hadn't been there before, and I granted, Tampa. Is much closer to it and everything, but just, I think sometimes the change is good. The question is going to be, and I'll ask both of you guys, because since you guys have reported along these lines, how much do you think the fans of those schools are going to come travel for this?
1: Well, it's pretty clear that they're not turning out the way they have to some of their previous games. So I've been, you know, and I'm not like going to be all rah-rah Bay Area defended to the death, right? I do live here, but I fully acknowledge we are not a college football hotbed here. So for 11 months, I've been a little bit nervous for the for the people here I know the people that run this event but I told them I said you know, if you get Michigan if you get Notre Dame Ohio State you're in great shape I said the one matchup you don't want is Alabama Clemson cuz they keep cuz this is every year now and sure enough the tickets I watched them go from on Saturday on the day of the semifinals they were going for six their face value is 475 they were going for 675 on StubHub and as we sit here today on Friday they're going for like 130 it's just completely cratered. So clearly, their fans are not coming out as they normally would, and that doesn't surprise me. But I, I kind of separate that from. I, I'm a little surprised by all the piling on about Santa Clara and San Jose. That's, if it's just the, it's the matchup. Does it? they're they're very far away and it's very expensive to get here.
3: Uh, it's it's circumstances, right? There's nothing that the college football playoff could do about the circumstances, right? And the fact that they've also played a bunch of times. They played this game against each other a bunch of times. Alabama is in the playoff every year. At a certain point, Alabama fans have to go look at it and go, you know, I'm going to have to sit this one out. Like, you know, like paying big money for a trip and playoff tickets every single year when you know you're going to go back next year too. It's just, it just makes economic sense for Alabama fans. It's very far. There's nothing, you know, I can question, do you bring it here to Northern California because it's not a great college football hub? Right, so if you don't play it here, what you're guarding against is if we do have a matchup that doesn't quite work regionally, right? Then you know if you know if it's in the middle of the country or down south, you're always going to get some kind of attendance, and you'll always have schools close enough to sort of be involved. Whereas if it's out here, you're right. If it was one of the big Big Ten Midwest schools or a Pac-12 school, you're fine. But you are open opening yourself up for this type of situation by bringing it out here. But, you know, it's not like they're going to cancel the college football playoff. <laughs> I think that it becomes such an omen. like, well, everybody's piling on.
1: It's the worst decision ever. Like, all the tickets are sold. The fact that the scalpers aren't making, like... The tickets are sold, but it's going to be very interesting. There will be empty seats there. No, Whether it'll be 2,000 or 10,000, I have no idea.
3: No doubt there will be empty seats. I, again, I, I, I guess my... my point is what is the repercussions of this the repercussions of this is they don't have as big a crowd as they would like it it sort of falls flat as an event but like like again we're not canceling the event we're not changing anything down the line it's just going to be a little bit of a bad look it's not the Super Bowl
2: it's just it's not going to be the Super Bowl two things in my head first is the last time I remember uh, the title game being played on the West Coast was the Florida State Auburn game at the Rose Bowl is that right Mm-hmm. those are two yeah. teams that are also not culturally into LA now granted that's a venue that we're much more familiar with so I don't know how much there was doom and gloom back then with Jameis Winston versus Auburn mm-hmm. the other thing that I, I feel is and this I think is like a lot of things is a Twitter social media problem I don't remember 10 years ago I remember being to a, going to a Rose Bowl where it wasn't a, a Big 12 I'm sorry Big 10 Pac-10 game it was Washington State, it was when Mike Price was leaving to go to Alabama, Oklahoma. played Oklahoma. There was a big swath of empty seats. And granted, there were people... Yeah, I, I was there. It. I remember that. I was there too. I, there were people complained about it, but I don't remember. It was like the, the world came to an end. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like, and this is, again, what I think is a Twitter problem. You show, whether it's a Miami game or a Florida game, some sports writer gets there an hour and a half ahead of time and takes pictures of the empty seats, or, and all of a sudden now it's this game sucks, this fan base sucks, this something sucks, I don't, you know, like since when do people care, like I, I care a little bit about TV ratings because I work for a TV company that's putting on games, since when do people always have to judge the value of something over, like they're judging it like they're Burke Magnus, right, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like it doesn't, it shouldn't matter, if two good teams are playing and it's a great game then just watch. You shouldn't be caring. It's not like everybody needs to be their own director and go, well, there's empty seats over here. And
1: There's a lot of different things at play here, right? Like for people who who have angst over the college football playoff system, who feel it should be eight teams or who feel the selection committee is corrupt and ESPN <laughs> runs the thing, and, and et cetera, et cetera. Like anything, any fodder, right? Oh, the ticket prices are way down. Got to blow it up. Happens- Alabama Clemson playing for the fourth year in a row. Better, you know, that's terrible. We hate that. It's Alabama-Clemson fatigue. I don't doubt that there's Alabama-Clemson fatigue. But if you're a college football fan and you like great college football, this is the pinnacle, this, this matchup. They're not the same players from four years ago. It's completely different teams.
3: You made, you made a great point. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll give you total credit on this because now it was like it, it burst into my head. And I realized, no, that's probably the angle for this game. It, it, it's like Texas-USC to a certain degree. Right, The the USC Texas Rose Bowl from 2006 It was the 2005 season So 2006 Where two undefeated teams One is a dynasty One is sort of I mean Clemson doesn't totally fit the Texas role Because these teams have played before I don't think Clemson is as much of an underdog As Texas was Though Texas was an underdog In a sense In a way that it was underplayed Like in other words Uh, We probably underestimated just how good that Texas team was because
2: we were so focused on this dynasty. ESPN was also running that month. USC's the greatest. Like, they were doing the sports center piece oh, but, that was But, but I thought it was... It but that,
3: but fr- quite frankly, like, I mean, we were all writing that, too. Like, this is USC's chance to... They were going to win three championships in a row. And I know that drives LSU fans crazy. But they were going to win three championships in a row, become the first one to do that, and they were going to stamp themselves as maybe the greatest team in college football. And
1: oh, by the way, all this time, Texas is averaging 51 points a right. game, but nobody's really paying attention to them.
3: Right, so it's not a perfect match, Clemson, to... Texas. But nonetheless, I mean, it's two undefeated teams, the first 15 and 0 champion ever. These and these two teams that have been far and away the two best teams in the country this season. There has been very little doubt that they have been one and one A, maybe one and two if you don't want to put. It, but but one and two with a big gap between everybody else, which is another thing like people were criticizing which teams should be three, which teams should be four, and they got this wrong, they got that wrong. And I've been saying for a month, it doesn't matter who you put three in 4 they're going to get their asses kicked. Like, you can throw Ohio State in there, fine. You won't like Notre Dame, fine. Throw Georgia in. You know, I know Georgia almost beat Alabama, but you know what? I don't think Tua was going to get hurt again. Right. I just, I felt like these are the two best teams, and complaining that they blew out their semifinalists, it just seems
1: silly. Well, we gotta have something to complain about, Ralph. We've, we yeah, we always have. and Notre Dame. It's just the perfect storm. Notre Dame. If you if you're somebody who thinks that they are getting away with something by not being in a conference, there's there's a lot of play there. But uh, think about this: the first time Alabama and Clemson played in 2015, Alabama's quarterback was Jake Coker. Okay, the next year it's Jalen Hurts, who almost won them the game at the end. This is just a whole other animal. This is Tua against Trevor Lawrence, who were the number one quarterbacks in their class the past two years. I guess Fields and Lawrence, maybe depending on which service you looked at, who are doing these incredible, incredible things you're not used to seeing from whether it's a true freshman in Lawrence's case, obviously what Tua did in the second half of last year's championship game. So it's an incredible matchup. It just so happens that they're wearing the same uniforms that they have the last three years.
3: Right. And listen, I think college football is still at its soul a regional sport. I, I think as much as we want it to be more than that, and we look at it more than that because we are literally national writers. So like we look at it more than that. ESPN wants it to be more than that the college the whole structure of the college football playoff was meant to build off the BCS, making college football a more national sport. But at its heart, it's still pretty regional. I mean, it's just not the NFL, and I totally get that people in Columbus, Ohio, and many other places are going you know, to look at the two teams and think, like, yeah, I'm a big college football fan, maybe, and I'll watch it. But, like, yeah, I've kind of seen this act before. And I, and I do think as good as Clemson is, they just don't have this huge fan base and a huge national following because they're still a relatively new big brand.
2: I feel like just, you know, sometimes you try to twist and tilt your perspective to fit what you think the audience wants. And, look – Tua wasn't the starter in this game last year when they played Georgia. He came in. It obviously was a great storyline. Trevor Lawrence was in high school last year. Yeah, Davo Sweeney and Nick Saban have been on the stage for a long time now. But I think that matchup is really compelling. And sometimes I think we all kind of get in these situations, whether we're talking on a podcast or a radio show or writing about it, is what does the fan who's not of these two teams, what is going to draw their interest? Who are they going to root for? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. My guess is if you're not an Alabama fan or you're not an SEC fan, you're probably going to root from Clemson because Alabama is big bad Alabama and Nick Saban is, is kind of the Darth Vader of college football because they have dominated it in a way that, quite honestly, nobody has ever dominated it in our lifetimes. So, you know, there is something there for them to grab onto. But, again, I you know, I'm like, I almost have had fatigue of the Alabama fatigue question. You know, <laughs> it's like... This is, you know, I want to see a competitive game. It's not Alabama's fault that that Oklahoma couldn't get a turnover. It's not Clemson's fault that Notre Dame couldn't slow down their defense. You right. slow down that slow down Trevor Lawrence in the second quarter. So we got bad games which we wouldn't have had in the BCS era because maybe maybe somebody would have knocked one and two off, but we wouldn't have had those kind of fodder games. Listen the.
3: Yeah, Alabama is already in the midst of the greatest dynasty in the history of college football. I am fine saying that. I mean, because if you want to, if you have to go back to 1940s Army or you know Newt Rockne's Notre Dame, that doesn't count. That's a different era. It's just a different sport. So if you want, to, whatever you want to call modern college football, this is the best it's ever been. Alabama is the best it's ever been. Winning on Monday will just add to that, but what, what I think it will separate Alabama is this is a team, a singular team, that will finally get Alabama's dynasty into the conversation of, what we, you, we, we talk about this a lot, what is the best single team you've ever seen? Right? Is it Miami, 2001? Is it 95, Nebraska? Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, uh, is it USC, maybe 20, 2004? Like Alabama has yet to have one of those teams that stands out where you say, wow, this might be the greatest team I've ever seen. If Alabama wins on Monday... They'll be the first fifteen or no champion, and you'll and they will now have a team. Saban will now have a team in that conversation. And is
1: this the greatest college football team I've ever seen? Yeah. To this point, I don't even think there's agreement on what which of Alabama's championship teams team. is his best one.
3: Which is essentially the greatest part of Alabama's dynasty is that they're all freaking great right yeah. they're all so good but they're also but none of them to good, your none point none
1: it. of them get mentioned like 2001 Mike. and look right. most of them had a loss and the only one only the first one was undefeated so can i yeah can i also bring up with something that you said
2: and it started i started to think you might be going there when you teed into it but you didn't which is if alabama wins this game like i i've said this for like two years now or three years i think nick saban hands down is the greatest college football coach of all time. Mm-hmm. There is no argument because right now it's harder to dominate the sport than it is because all kinds of external factors that deal with running a program. What I wonder about is if Nick Saban wins this national title, are we starting to t- talk about him like we're talking about John Wooden at you know the run of UCLA basketball? And I don't honestly know enough about like An- what is it, Anson Dorrance, who is like you know you're starting to talk about like women's soccer yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and well, and Gino Oriamo, yeah, but I think. Now you got to start looking at it that way too.
3: I would say this: if you remove it from pro sports, because I, I don't think that's a fair correlation.
2: Because sure. you know, guys, guys can stay on for ten years. right?
3: Yeah, and right, right, and different and and salary and also, caps. And, right, pro sports are not are not are meant to break up dynasties, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things in college sports that are not that. There's no competitive. Uh, balance triggers in college sports the way they were on pro sports so let's put pro sports aside but yeah i think if you start talking just college sports runs it this is probably getting outside of just football and you're starting to get to wooden and oriema and pat summit and again maybe some places where i i don't have the knowledge yeah Yeah, right right and you know right great, great wrestling program and things along those lines can i throw one more thing alabama clemson related at you I've already written that we're going to see these two teams again next year. That, that be, be prepared because they're both loaded next year, especially with the two quarterbacks. Now, Clemson, not quite as loaded. They're going to have to replace a lot of those defensive linemen, so maybe I'm overstepping on Clemson, but Alabama is going to be back here next year. I would say next year you might have more interest in a. I know it sounds crazy, in a fifth Clemson-Alabama matchup. I don't think the average football fan is as clued into Trevor Lawrence this year as they might be next year. And I think he might be a little bit more. I
2: know that sounds weird. No, because he's probably by Tuesday morning, they will be. He's
1: he's a freshman. Yeah. Right. He's a freshman who I think a lot. Clemson never shows up. You know, they put out ESPN or whoever. Here's the list of the most watched games of the season Mm -hmm. It's Alabama, Alabama, Ohio State, Alabama. Clemson's never on those lists.
3: I do wonder if Clemson, if Lawrence Tua next year. Becomes a more interesting matchup to the average sports fan. Not average college football fan, but the average sports fan because now I know who Trevor Lawrence is and I know Tua is going to be the next NFL
2: number one draft pick kind of guy. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overstepping and maybe five years in a row. But there's a star pack, star power. <laughs> like one thing you guys didn't say when you're talking about USC Texas. You had the Heisman factor where Vince Young, right. who'd been phenomenal in the Rose Bowl the year before and, you know, he had... Uh, he was Superman that night against Richard Bush. Yeah, yeah so, so you line. had that star factor. You know, with Clemson as down as the ACC is, I'm not saying there was no reason to watch them. But what game was anybody with Syracuse and, and Dungey? There was really no. There really
3: wasn't. How many Clemson games came on at noon? Syracuse. Yeah. Was no, there was yeah. a lot of noon kickoff yeah. and noon. And I'm, I
1: kickoff. bet their most watched game was the A and M game in week two. Oh, it's and point. when he was still rotating with Oh, Bryant. The, the
3: one. Well, that's right. The, the, the twice. They had game day. It was on the road, right? Because mm-hmm. they had the A&M game and at BC, amazingly enough, that was the other big— Oh,
1: that might have been the most watched because that, that was the yeah. game was day the, game. Right. that yeah. was
3: at that one, and then, but that was non-competitive. That was, yeah, it wasn't a good game. Yeah, they hurt yeah, the damn. quarterback on the first drive and, you know, you could tell by, you know, by the second quarter that they never win. <laughs> so BC I, I
1: think win. you're on to something, but I think for it to, to be what you're describing, Clemson has to win this one so that it's two to two. And this is the rubber match. If Alabama wins this one, especially if they win a blowout, we're like, well, I already know how this is going to end. I I really don't want to see this. I I think another scenario
2: that could play out.
1: If it's Northwestern, Stu's alma mater, it's Hunter Johnson.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ralph, you did an interesting story, I think it was yesterday or today, about something Stu and I have talked about quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, which is whether this thing will go to eight teams or not. You have to actually talk to people. (laughs) who are industry insiders and experts, I think we, I don't feel I can speak for Stu on this, but once Jim Delaney puts his name out there and attaches it to something, I feel like that's so much momentum because he's the most powerful guy in college sports. It's hard to somehow, some way, they're going to figure out the logistics and make that happen. From your reporting, is it that much of a slam dunk or way more complicated? I think it's...
3: It's just a very complicated process, and I'll put it this way: nothing, is, none of the hurdles are impassable. Every obstacle that is put out there, it can be handled. But to get, to actually just get the framework and the logistics of making it eight-team playoff, and assuming it would go to eight or even six, work, is just a lot of work. I mean, it starts with again, like just the. Where and when are you going to play these games? Like, even if you just open up that conversation, and you, the answer is very simple oh, well, just play them the third week of December, they'll be the quarterfinals on campus. Well, finals. finals, finals, yeah, finals, right? School's out, school's out. Try having a big event in Blacksburg, Virginia, or Clemson, uh, South Carolina, on like two weeks' notice, and you're gonna, like, again, because this is going to be a playoff game, it's going to have Eighty
1: thousand people, hotel rooms, like yeah. Remember, like uh, yeah. Whenever people say, "Well, they like, do it in the FCS." What, what, what can be sorry they do it in the FCS? Well, there's not eighty thousand people going to those games. So and I talked everything uh, that goes with it.
3: So I talked to Big Twelve former Big Twelve commissioner Dan Beebe, and listen, Beebe is a staunch opponent of playoff in general. He was a guy who, you know, he was out of the room by the time they made the playoff. But you know, he 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 made that point of like, listen, I would go to an FCS championship game at Murray State, and there were more cars in the parking lot at Walmart across the street. <laughs> like, these are major events to do on two weeks' notice in small towns. There's there again, there's finals, there's the TV element of so when are you gonna play these games and what TV windows are you gonna play them in? We'll say, well, that's easy. You just play them on the Saturday, you know, after you hand out the Heisman. Well, the NFL plays games on those Saturdays. And if you're going to play games against the NFL, ESPN is going to say, okay, we're giving you, I don't know, $100 million less because we're going to get less ratings. Because no matter what you say about your great playoff game. In addition, the ESPN, which
2: already doesn't have a great relationship with, with the NFL, doesn't want to piss the NFL no, off anymore
3: either. No. I mean, listen, the NFL almost stuck a playoff game on the night of the play, of the college football the orange, final
2: yeah the,
3: no of the final they were tempted to put a playoff that. game on the final night mm-hmm. and they were basically were not scared of the college football playoff final so when people say like well the nfl doesn't want to know the nfl will put their games anywhere and be more than happy that's the starting point is you would have to work around the nfl so 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 you already are a, you already don't know when you're going to play these games and where like already that is a Again, it's not, a, it's not impossible to figure it out, but just that step needs work. And the other thing I would say as far as Delaney, Delaney and his comments, it is definitely significant if Jim Delaney wants to talk about an 18 playoff. That is absolutely no doubt. Kudos to The Athletic and kudos to, to, to Nicole for writing that story. But I, I don't know if there is a lot of other commissioners who are ready to jump on board there. And I would also, and this is just, listen, I, this is just me and my sort of like analysis of that comment from Delaney. I do wonder how much Jim Delaney is working the refs at this point. Oh, I totally think he is. And thinking like, I don't know if I necessarily, I'm dying to get to eight, but I want to make sure that people in that room, in that committee and this is not something that was I wrote in my story, but I'll just give you my opinion on this one. I want. I want. I think. I wonder how much Delaney is thinking. I want the people in that committee room to start taking into account that the SEC works a break in to their November schedule and like filter and like factoring that in. I want those teams. I want the people in that room to start maybe. Who knows? Maybe this is something that could actually be changed in the protocol. I want when the records are displayed in that room to remove an FCS team to remove the FCS wins so that. Florida would not have had a nine and three record. it would have had a seven and three record this year because it's again it's not just about who makes the playoff, it's also about who makes those other games. So there's a lot of things in the way of expansion that would take a lot of work and when you talk about momentum towards expansion, I think it depends on who you ask.
2: Yeah, and if you take that Florida example, right you know everyone there was not everyone there was some chatter for Georgia. Well, Georgia's two best wins were Kentucky and Florida, right? So, you know, that devalues to some degree if you're going to take those teams that have FCS wins.
3: Yeah, and listen, I think the Georgia finishing ahead of Ohio State, I'm sure, got Delaney's attention too. Though, I would be also, and this again, this is just my opinion, I think everything changes after you've picked the teams that get in. So, to tell me that, well... Georgia finished ahead of Ohio State. That means if you would have eliminated Oklahoma, Georgia would have gotten in. Eh,
1: I'm not, not necessarily. So sure.
3: Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I think they were fine putting Georgia at five ahead of Ohio State at six. But if push came to shove, would they have put Georgia at four ahead of Ohio State at five? I doubt that. But you want to send that message if you're Delaney. I just, again, like not to belabor it, but, you know, after talking to some folks in the business. I think that momentum depends on who you ask and there's so many things that are involved here even if they did decide let's say monday afternoon where well, we'll be at the meet like well, i'm sure we'll be outside a meeting door like we were for years too uh, when they were working on this playoff initially and they'll come out and they'll say something like well you know we talked about it a little bit but we're going to talk about it more in april unless they're really motivated To get this done and everybody in the room is motivated to get this done there's so many steps that need to be dealt with and so much work that needs to be put into it i just don't know if they're going to really want to do all the the hard work that gets into it
1: and you're basically looking at you know six years into the deal so end of not end of the 2020 season i mean it's that or it's 12 years i don't think there's any in between so and to get it done in time for that they probably would have to hash out all those details in the first six months of this year Right. Is it doable? Yeah, so I think Delaney doesn't put anything out there publicly that he doesn't know what the likely end game is, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it's it's one of two things: either he's got behind the scenes a lot of support of people that just haven't said it so publicly, and so when they get in the room, it's like, well, Greg Sankey, you know, do you really want to be the only one in the way of this? Mm-hmm. Or it's what you said. I we know he's very frustrated. He he wrote the you go on the um. Playoff site to the like official protocol. Mm-hmm. It's his words. Like he's the one who wrote the right. the, the the like you know the, the instructions to the committee. And I don't think he feels like it's played out the way he envisioned. That they don't take FCS games and nine games versus eight games into account enough. And so I think maybe his end game here is just to so, like. Well, I older, don't think we're actually. Yeah, we're not actually. Get, this isn't all going to result in an 18 playoff, but it could result in a more transparent selection process with where they. It's it's you know you have to have a really good reason not to have the conference champions selected. To your point about FCS, do you know that in the that would be a good idea to reduce the number of wins? Yeah, just on make the it just,
3: just take it off the because you know, in literally this, literally take it right
1: off. now it's actually kind of the opposite of that. In that, I found out that the the strength of schedule metric that they use just tosses FCS games out completely. So George, if you look, Georgia's schedule is ranked really high. Mm-hmm. You're like that's weird. They played Austin P. Well, it's as if the Austin P game didn't happen because none of those games are counted in the opponent's record. So,
3: but nonetheless, it still shows up as yeah. Georgia being right. ten and two. Yeah. Right? So we're eleven and two in this.
1: Now game. that all that being said, the bowl results didn't do many favors, right? No. Florida overranked. Florida crushes his Michigan Wolverines. Mm-hmm. Uh, UCF lost. That would have been a whole other thing if UCF had won. Well, it, wait a minute. The, the, the momentum for that, like, we got to have a spot for the group of five. But the other part of that was
2: the team, you know, the team that they were debating some, Georgia, they were down 28-7 to 7 against a Texas team that wasn't a great team, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, so, but, you know, they weren't They were
1: up for it, Bruce. Right. <laughs> they, it's unfortunate. The because SEC I, hasn't lost – I can't take – somebody on Twitter said the SEC hasn't lost a game, a bowl game that they wanted to win since, like, yeah. you know, 1976 or who something. Who do you think is – who do you guys think – is
2: all right. So we clearly think these are the by far the two best teams. Mm-hmm. Who do you think would have the best chance of beating them? I have an answer. Ohio State.
3: Yeah, yeah me too. I, listen, I uh, the day they picked these teams, the, the playoff field was set. I was, I mean, and I'm still say this. I thought Ohio State should have been number four.
1: The problem is. No, I get the I get all the resume. Well, the thing is, like Ohio State, and this is you know in sports, teams get better or they get worse. Yeah. Ohio State of weeks one, I mean literally the week before the Michigan game, they up fifty one points to Maryland. Mm-hmm. So at the time they made the, they were looking at the resumes. You know it was eleven weeks of not so great, and then they turned okay. it on against if, Michigan. If Ohio
2: State lost to Purdue, thirty eight twenty eight. Is Ohio State in the playoff? Probably, maybe.
3: Though again, you know Purdue six and six. Oklahoma loses to Texas by a field goal and a gun the, yeah. and avenges the win. And saying, Ohio State gets a crap. I'm saying probably, probably not. And. You know if Maryland still exists because I mean we still. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, like you know, I don't know where you guys were watching that game, but I was in the press box at Yankee Stadium where Notre Dame was playing Syracuse, uh, sitting next to Pete Thamel from Yahoo, watching it on his screen, and like you can still see the wide open receiver for Maryland, yep. Which on a two point conversion that would have beaten them, so I, I get that. Like I get all of that, but I still came away like it's a win's a win, and you know again on Selection Sunday, I'm looking at these teams and thinking like. Oklahoma is really good, but I take Ohio State. Ohio State's fine. I didn't like. I would. I'm not going to die on that. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma was a totally fine. As player.
1: I was watching them, you know, up until the fourth quarter, kind of do what they wanted with Washington in the Rose Bowl. I was reminded of, you know, USC under Pete Carroll. Like there was a period there of several years where they they would stub their toe against Oregon State or somebody and get out of, and they'd never be talked about again for the BCS title game, and then they go to the Rose Bowl and just depants pants. Uh, Illinois, Penn State or, or Illinois, State, or, or, State, yeah. and you'd be like, well, you know, we think we're the best team right now. Like, right. we're the hottest team. Nobody's going to want to play us right How many times did you, I feel like I saw that Rose Bowl press conference, right? Like, I wouldn't want to play us now, you know? That's who Ohio State was at the end of the and, year. And
3: I don't think Ohio State would beat either, either of these two teams, by right. the way. Like, I, I think that there's enough flaws in Ohio State. But if, if you were saying, like, like I got tell you, like, who do you think is going to be number three when the poll comes out on... Well, it's, Monday. Night. It's
1: almost certainly going to be them. Ohio State. They're thirteen and one. No,
3: unless unless somebody looks at it and says, "I know Oklahoma has two losses, but they did lose to Alabama, right?" And they lost. So I could see Oklahoma, but Ohio State's going to be no worse than fourth, right, in the country. Come you know, come the final poll, and as for Georgia, you know, listen, you know, I, again, I, I, none of, the, at this point, bowls have always been a dubious way of sort of judging what a team is and what they're going to be for next season. But at this point with all the guys sitting out and even less motivation now for certain teams, I don't know what any of these games mean, but I do say, I will say this. You got it. You can't own your losses. You can't own your wins and not own your losses. I mean, they
2: lost by twenty points at LSU. What?
3: That yeah, no, no. I'm here, right? I'm fine. Trust me. I've I've vented enough on Georgia on Twitter and mocked the ridiculousness of the idea that they should have been in the playoffs because they almost beat Alabama. It was absurd at the time, and you know again, they
1: wanted you to just go eye test. And I think that the committee picking Alabama the year before with virtually no resume. Yeah is why everybody from Kirk Herp Street on down thought, well, if you're going to do that, hey, you just saw Georgia take Alabama to the wire. Like, you saw with your own eyes. You know, you, have I'm sure, heard from all the people on Twitter, anybody who watched Notre Dame would know they never belonged in that. Listen, and uh, well, why do we keep score? You know, well, like, Georgia, right. oh, didn't Notre Dame take
2: Georgia to the wire?
3: Right, well, right last it was just last year. year. Yeah, just know, last yeah. year and that was you know, the other thing I wrote, which was away from the reporting, was just a column of, like, You know, this is why I think an 18 playoff would work and have automatic bids. And it's sort of focused on the Georgia angle of like, I understand that Notre Dame is probably not a better roster than Georgia. But at a certain point, college football has to have a little bit of the element of what what we are most used to in sports, which is like a win means something. And if you win, you get something. And what you get is either a trophy or a chance to play more games. And I understand that doesn't fit comfortably into college football because the schedules are all different and these teams don't play each other, so it's hard to compare them. But at a certain point, you've got to fall back on results and not keep assuming about your hypothetical is certain. Georgia would definitely beat Notre Dame because
2: that's what I say.
3: Well, I don't know. And we won't know, so let's just go with what we know.
2: Yeah, I felt like that started to erode the year after Florida State won the title. Remember, like, they were sputtering all over the place with Jameis, and -hmm. they were undefeated, but, but, like, Stu had them ranked, like, number 16. They almost fell out of the top
1: four entirely. It was crazy. But again— But we all knew they were going to get exposed at some point.
2: But we also— Well, under that premise, by the way, Stu, like, we all knew they were going to get exposed at some point. Let's say— that Notre Dame now, Notre Dame goes undefeated again. And people look back and go, well, they got their ass kicked by Clemson. They got their ass kicked. New well, year- well now, wait, wait, wait let, me, wait. let me finish. They got their ass kicked by Clemson. They got their ass kicked by Mich- by, by uh, oh. Alabama five years ago. And then if let's start going back to the, <laughs> sorry, let's start going back to all their, like, New Year's Six kind of bowls, where they're 0-6. Mm-hmm. You're going to, and I'm not saying it's right, but you're going to get people going, well, anytime Notre Dame, you know, gets into one of these games, they get blown out. So why should we take them
1: very seriously? Well, there's no look that's we all happen. know that's gonna because that's that's unavoidable well no i i was referring specifically to that team where they and i don't remember all the details how they had so many yeah, crazy, plunge, comebacks crazy comebacks and it was they were living very dangerously yeah. what frustrates me a little bit about the criticism of notre dame is that not only were it like the 2012 notre dame team you know needed triple overtime to beat Pitt and Everett golson was a total liability this, like, notre, like, dame this notre dame lost, team almost
2: lost a ball state
1: Three almost. four months ago, before Ian Book took over as quarterback. Like people mentioned that Vanderbilt. Oh, they almost lost to Vanderbilt. I went back and they looked at a
2: handful of pit.
1: They led the Vanderbilt Did game for the entire game. So this team basically I mean, John Walter said we had on a play, like it's very unusual for Notre Dame fans to watch a team that beats people pretty comfortably for the most part. They weren't like playing like a like a what you would consider to be like a fraud team was. Just athletically we know like recruiting rankings suggest they probably don't have the talent of Clemson or Alabama, but is that how we want to determine the playoff teams on the two four seven composite rankings? No. But,
2: but I would or, also or what Vegas says. But, yeah. you know. but I would also
3: say, and I would also say this again: like I, I was pretty confident, no matter what two teams you put against Clemson and Alabama, you were going Clemson to Clemson, Alabama were type going to results, win. Right? I, I don't think so. You say well. You know, again, like, the recruiting rankings don't work, and their game is not quite, and they're not. They don't have the depth of talent on their roster, but then why are we playing these games at all? Yeah. Why are we just, then, then let's just skip ahead to Alabama-Clemson, and the fact of the matter is, every once in a while, the team with the lesser recruiting rankings
1: wins. I don't, it's the end, the, right? at the end of the day, the, what I think those guys will be discussing the most, I think, is, like, you don't, we don't need eight teams to to determine the national championship. We just don't. Mm-hmm. Somebody, I, I had no idea about this stat until this week, but do you know that, the FCS playoffs, which are now at, what, 24? They've grown right. over the years from, like, 8 to 16. Mm-hmm. Has never had a team that wasn't one of the top four seeds win it. Right. Right? So and you can
3: always blow out. Yeah. You so look at their numbers. Like, like you know, North Dakota State just
1: crushes everybody. So you can add all the teams you want. I don't know that it's going to – if anything, it's going to give Alabama and Clemson more chances, right? Like, oh, well, Alabama only – they finally went 10-2, and two, but they were number seven. So they got in, and they got hot, and they won it. But there is, what there is a legitimate concern about is – hey, this thing is becoming increasingly just the SEC and the ACC. Right. The whole goal of the playoff was to be a national event. That's why we're having this game in Santa Clara, right? To, we want each part of the country to feel like they're part of this. Well, it's not It's not really going that way right now. Should we guarantee a spot to the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and, and the Group of Five so that everybody around the country feels like they have a, a stake in this?
3: Right, That and that was my point, too, about an 18 team playoff. It's a if you have if you have the eight teams, you make sure you draw in the rest of the country, and that actually does nas- make the sport more national. And you will have some competitive games in the middle there. I think you're right. I think the one eight and two sevens will probably be a lot of blowouts. But my guess is like the three five, the three six, and four five will probably provide some pretty interesting games. And Again, like it, to me, I I would be the proponent of automatic bids for the top five conferences for the Power Five and one automatic to the Group of Five, because you just need to get the again the
1: guesswork. Which I don't I, think they would do it otherwise.
3: All we're doing is guessing, and to just constantly be guessing, I think just we, removes the the importance of actual results
2: of games. Okay, to avoid, let's say, Notor- Northwestern at whatever eight and four upsetting. I don't care. No, I'm, uh, let them upset them okay, and get let, in. Let them upset okay, them and get in.
3: I don't understand why so people I, get so crazy about that. Some people I that.
2: talk to would prefer the Big 12 version, which is like you're just going to have the two best teams in the in the conference title game. That way you won't get the potential of an 8-5 and five team not mm-hmm. sneaking in because they'll right. have won their way in, but like having a crappy season somehow in, in the right. lesser division and then upsetting a team. Let right. the conferences choose. Jordan. Let the conferences yeah.
3: choose. And again, when you go back to like why it will be difficult to expand the playoff, this is another reason, right? Because now you're playing more games. Well, just eliminate the conference championship games. The oh, SEC is sure. not going to do that. The SEC makes SEC's $75 million on, And here's the other part of it, too. You say, well, the SEC is not going to do it. But once I make a playoff where my champion has an automatic bid, if I'm the Big 12, the value of my championship game, which feeds into that automatic bid, goes
1: up. Here, Here's another thing, like though. Now
3: my championship game is not as valuable as the SEC's, but it's just got valuable. And I don't have to worry about nobody showing up because, you know, Kansas See, there's State— There's
2: those Fordham economics classes. Yeah. Have an end from
3: so all those things—so so when you expand the playoff, if you have automatic bids— everybody's going to embrace their conference championship game a little more because the Pac-12 – trust me, the Pac-12 will not play in front of an empty stadium.
1: If, if there's Utah a playoff for And
3: Washington on. both know that they could get to a playoff.
1: And then here's something that I really don't hear anybody talk about. I'm curious your thoughts. You mentioned in this Northwestern team this year is a perfect example of that. They lost all three of their non-conference games. But if they get in and they beat Ohio State, they're in. So if that's the case, if I'm a Big Ten team or a Pac-12 team and I know that I just got to win my conference, what's my incentive to play – Good teams out of conference. Like, why yeah. wouldn't I just play three exhibition games?
3: My my counterpoint: A, if you're if you're dealing with two wild cards, assumingly two teams that are a committee I'm sure will have to pick. So you're still gonna have a committee out there yep. to do some subjective, you know, guessing. Having good a good non-conference resume will help you, right? If I if I stumbled in my conference, if I have this big win against Alabama or Texas or USC or whoever, that will help get me in. The other thing is, and you know this, Stu, non-conference scheduling is about money. Texas is not – of course Texas is going to keep scheduling USC. They have ticket packages to sell,
1: right? I think it's actually the opposite. Maybe Texas isn't the best example of this, but like – Alabama could could play three FCS games and that stadium's still gonna sell out. Northwestern needs to play Notre Dame so that Notre Dame fans will buy the
3: tickets. That's not true anymore, though, Stu. Even the SEC teams, the reason why Greg Byrne has decided to bring to start doing these Notre Dame conference games, you know, home and homes with Notre Dame, home and home with Texas, is because they realize our fans, maybe they're showing up, but they're leaving. Right. Right? We need to sell these ticket packages, we need people to be more engaged on our campus non-conference scheduling is as much about finances as anything else they still need to continue to have at least one good
1: hey it could go the complete other way it could be like well it's no longer a risk to this right, right so let's just play three great teams right you know? because
3: we'll we always know we have the conference championship yeah. game at the end of the rainbow
1: that is so. the sound of bruce opening a bag of hey is that cheez-its no I don't. oh i was gonna say like no the most effective bowl sponsorship in, in recent history comes, comes to fruition. It's a, I love cheese and too. Do you? It's like a 1970s snack. Are they
3: really? No. I think so. Oh, I thought, I, 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 didn't, I didn't, never thought of it that way. Well, I'm kind of a 1970s guy.
1: <laughs> I like Ritz. Is it, Ritz crackers. Ooh, Can we get them are. to sponsor? No, those are Ritz bits. Ritz oh, bits. Ritz, there you Ritz go. Ritz
3: crackers. They don't have any real, like.
1: Now that's Maybe. from the 1970s.
3: Yes, totally. But they don't have any like particular like flavor. No, they got it. No, good have, flavor. Like, right now,
2: they like they've really kind of repackaged themselves. <laughs> they've so extended it's been, the brand. They've extended the brand. All right. So as as Ralph has, you can follow Ralph on Twitter at Ralph Russo AP.
3: Close, close. close. <laughs> I throw my middle initial in there because it's part of my Ralph brand. D Russo. So it's Ralph D Russo AP. Is
2: that it, for Dominic? It
1: is for Dominic. That was my my grandfather. Wow. One of my, You did a lot better job guessing his middle name than mine. How do you know that?
2: (laughs) Well, you're Italian, and I figured you're from New York. I figured there was a chance it was Dominic.
3: Uh, One grandfather was Ralph. The other one was Dominic. So there you go.
1: Ralph, we appreciate you uh, taking the time today. That was a really good discussion, I think, we had about the... uh, In case you were wondering,
2: Stuart, and the L stands for Lamont... Big Sanford and some Rams in Cincinnati. You've been telling that joke for ten years now.
3: And I think the last time you told it to me, I said, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> and you said it the exact same way.
2: What does it stand for? Lance. Which you don't meet many Lances outside of like no. outside of the porn industry <laughs> I think you Well
1: I, it's funny you know you s- This is like this is multiple times you've used that really? with me too yes I think yeah. you have like, literally There was there's a game right where you, you how do you determine your your porn star name and it's your middle name and the street you grew up on and so mine is Lance Ash which really does sound like a... Yeah, Yeah. and you know
3: you've known some people for a while when you start using, when you realize that you've used your same material with them and they've used their same material with with you. So yes, you guys are now old friends of mine.
1: All right, well, we'll take that compliment.
2: (laughs) All right, thanks, Ralph. Thanks.
1: Okay, Bruce, it's time to do a rare in-person mailbag segment.
2: All right, this is going to be exciting, Stu. Spring on the questions that I can't look at your screen for.
1: Well, that's the thing, you could actually take turns reading with them if you want. Okay, so we had some non-national championship news this week uh, with Dana Holgerson going to Houston. Eric W. from Bozeman, Montana. Hey, guys, what does Dana Holgerson taking the job at Houston say about West Virginia as a program? Is Houston really a better job than a Big 12 school?
2: I think it is for
1: him, uh, especially at this time. What it does
2: is, it, quite honestly, it resets his clock. I think Dana Holgerson have been there seven years. That's a long time for any coach to be anywhere unless he's Nick Saban. He's coming off... Probably the most talented team he had. They won't finish in the top 10. They obviously had a good year, but you're going to lose Will Greer. You're going to lose a bunch of really good receivers. His best left, his starting left tackle, some really good players on the defense. You know, it wouldn't shock me if this was a 6-6 and kind of team next year in the Big 12. And with the acrimonious relationship he had with the AD there, who had really not given him a ton of... Confidence that all right, they wanted him there long, long term, beyond where they are now. I think if with a six and six year, it's pop, you know he was definitely going to be on the hot seat. So he decided he loves Houston and the Tillman Fertitta, who's the big money booster there, who pushed uh, Major Applewhite out after two years. I think Daniel Holgerson's a big hire for them, and it is it's the best group of five job, although it's a job with incredibly high. Expectations, but he can recruit there. He's been there before. Uh, He loves that city. He's been there. He would go back there a lot. He has relationships there. So I, I'm not shocked he made that move. It's just uh, it was really messy all the way around. You think it is the group of five, the best group of five job, or one of the best group of five jobs for him? I think it would be the best group of five job. I think it's as good as any because the recruiting base is there. You have a new stadium. Recruiting base is is just about as good as there is. Uh, You have a new stadium there and you've had, you know, some high level recruiting that's gone on at that level. So I'm not sure that there's a better group of five job. I mean, USF and UCF are in there, but I don't think there's anyone that's better. The only part that might make those other jobs more appealing is part of the is because the president of the school and the big booster have said, we'll fire coaches at eight and four. Whereas those are places. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. George O'Leary couldn't win a game in a season. You know, and it's not like they're going to get kept on forever if you can't win there. But the expectations at those other places aren't sky high. But again, they also they're paying him. The reason why I say it's I think it's the best job is they're paying him four million dollars a year and they're giving him a huge salary pool to to hire coaches away at a level that's very different from some of these other jobs. He's going to end up my prediction is he's going to end up hiring some assistant coaches away from some really
1: good Power 5 programs to come work at Houston. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, there's a lot going for that program. I like their stadium. Obviously, they've had a lot of recent success, but he's definitely an upgrade at coach. Um, but does that mean that they're automatically going to become a 10-11 win team every year? I don't know, but that's certainly... It's kind of like when you give Jimbo Fisher, a and gives him $75 million, it's a national championship or a bust. If you're a group of five school giving Dana Holgerson $4 million, I think the... Expectation is you're going to be in that New Year Six birth, that New Year Six bowl, almost every year, which Boise State's going to have something to say about, and uh, UCF's going to have something to say about, and uh, many any number of other programs.
2: Well, none of those other people are, are, are coached by Nick Saban though, and Jim o. Fisher has that in his division on top of you know LSU and Auburn. It's you know that's the deep end of the pool. I don't think the rest of it is, is quite on that level,
1: relatively. Okay, from Cragen and he yes, I said it right, he gave it phonetically. Thank you, Cragen, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. With Penn State having so many NFL draft departures this year, is that a positive for the program or a sign that players are willing to jump ship early? Many fans see it as players finding the opportunity to get away from James Franklin and his staff. I personally see it as something Franklin wants from his program to have a lot of guys turn pro. What do you guys think? Usually if you're getting a lot if you have a lot of players turning pro, it means that you have become a destination school guys want to go to your program to because they know they have a shot to get into the NFL I guess my only concern here would be that they've lo- they're losing I think it's five now players including Miles Sanders off a nine and four team so is Penn State really at the place where they can because they had a lot of guys you know the year before they lose obviously Saquon Barkley where you can lose that many guys and like if I had to guess they're not going to be much better than nine and four next year but I could be wrong but Are they really in a place where they can just reload and sustain that kind of losses? Yeah, I I think, look at Miles Sanders leaving.
2: You know, Ricky Slade's a really talented young running back who's already there. They have two of the top, I don't know, uh, and Devin Ford's a a really dynamic running back. Noah Kane, those guys are considered like top five or top six running backs who are coming in. To me, it's not the, the underclassmen they're losing. It's Trace McSorley moving on. I mean, he was that program under James Franklin, and now we'll see if Tommy Stevens can be as good as they think he is. Sean Clifford, I know they have a lot of expectations for. You can talk about the guys who are leaving to get away from James Franklin, but also they've, hi- they've hired, they've recruited some really, really good talent that was better than what they recruited five years ago at that school. You know, if you look at, at where their recruiting ranking is. So we'll see. I mean, this is going to be interesting because, you know, they got a lot better when McSorley took over, and now McSorley's gone. I mean, certainly— Certainly, Joe Moorhead had a big role in, in Penn State breaking out under Franklin. And then he moved on, but McSorley stayed. Now they're both gone. And we'll see what Ricky Ronnie can do with, with, you know, I guess it's going to be Tommy Stevens or Sean Clifford, and we'll see. But there's still quite a bit of talent there. And I think
1: because they've recruited so well, I think that's a positive. We move along to Chuck Heaton, an Auburn fan who is a big fan of the podcast. And an alum, he says – What's the national take on Bo Nix, the uh, Auburn quarterback signee who's coming in? Five-star, dual-threat quarterback, set a ton of records in Alabama high school football. Great legacy from his dad as a QB and high school coach. Lots of buzz about him. If Clemson can bring in a freshman quarterback and go to the national championship, could Auburn do the same with him in 2019? He also says, can we give Bruce his own microphone when you two are doing the podcast from your hotel room? Had a hard time hearing him. Yes. So Stu just handed me it. So thank you. I saw Bo Nix at the Elite 11. His
2: dad, for people who, who aren't familiar, was Pat, is Patrick Nix, former Auburn quarterback who'd been a college coach for a little while. He was at one point an coordinator at Miami and has, has been a successful high school coach. He's considered by a lot of folks the best quarterback or the most maybe the most ready to come in to college football and make an impact. This is not considered when you talk to, to college coaches and also folks who, who've worked at the Elite 11 as one of the better college quarterback classes. It's, it, a lot of people think it's down across the board and that Bo Nix is probably the best of, a, of not a great bunch. The point that I would think is Trevor Lawrence, obviously really talented, but the cast around him I mean, I don't think Auburn has that around him. It just, to me, there's a big difference. And also, quite honestly, a big difference between who Auburn is playing against in their division as opposed to what Clemson's got. I mean, there's almost no margin for error. When I look at, let's say, Bo Nix coming in there, Jared Stidham's pretty talented. And Jared Stidham struggled in that offense. That offense didn't exactly, until the bowl game, look very crisp. Well, so you bring Bo Nix in. Let's say he is the starter. is going to be back for Alabama, I don't think Alabama's taken a step back. They might even be better. Probably Quinn and Williams will probably move on, but that's a, still got a lot of good young players in it. LSU should be better than they were this year when they won 10 games. I think Texas A&M is only going to get better under Jimbo Fisher. You know, Mississippi State's going to lose some really good players on defense. They're going to lose Nick Fitzgerald. But when you talk about the top three in that division, I think it's going to be Alabama, LSU, A&M. They're not good. They're If anything, they're going to be better than they were this year. So I think that doesn't bode well if you're going to use the Clemson analogy as far as Bo Nicks.
1: I don't know what the answer for Auburn is exactly. I mean... You saw what they did to Purdue in the bowl game, and bowl games, as Ralph said, are not really the best way sometimes to measure these things. But they got—you could tell—like they've got playmakers, they've got guys who can make plays uh, in space. But for some reason during the season, their offense was kind of a mess, even with Jarrett Stidham at quarterback. So I don't know. I've just come at this point to expect that when you expect big things from Auburn, they'll disappoint, and when you have lower expectations for them. They do well. They will probably have lower expectations next year. So maybe it'll be Clemson, either Alabama or Clemson versus Auburn in the national championship game. Okay.
2: Sounds good.
1: All right. Last question from Sean. Sean in Chicago. Okay. The other news we haven't had a chance to address because it happened the morning after we parted ways was Mark Richt retiring at Miami. Manny Diaz coming back and taking over. Why didn't Mark Rick communicate to Manny Diaz or the Miami Athletic Department that he was considering stepping down? They are lucky they got Diaz to come back after taking the Temple job. Kind of handled poorly. Thoughts? It is uh, kind of crazy that it cost them $4 million to buy out a coach who had been working for them like three days before that in the bowl game.
2: Yeah, even one of the details I'd heard is one of the assistant coaches on the offensive side of the ball had been uh, pursued by another Power 5 program within their own di- conference and uh, from my understanding rick ted communicated hey we want you here everything's going to be fine and then there was a 180 and obviously everything wasn't fine and mark rick was was uh was stepping down from my understanding a lot of the pressure on this came from rick being pushed to part ways with his his quarterback coach and his quarterback coach is his son John. And that wasn't something he was going to do. And this was the upshot. I think they were fortunate that Manny Diaz did want to come back for this job. And it'll be interesting to see how he does there. I mean, he what he did with the defense was by far the best thing about the Mark Richt era at UM. Now, I my point for Mark Richt, big picture-wise, is... Even if he didn't, and I know you know, it's funny. You and I had this conversation probably a month ago, where we talked about was this as good as UM was going to get under Mark Rick, and that was my feeling. It wasn't going to get any better than it was last year, when at one point they were in the they were number two in the country and they were in the top ten for a while. But they had a really down year this year. The one thing you cannot take away from them, which I think only maybe Miami fans or Miami people have a real appreciation for, is Mark Rick brought in a a ton of money financially to that program in that athletic department, which was really needed and required. And so whether he got them back in the top 10 consistently or not, he had a really profound impact on UM. And I think it was important what he did. And he set the stage. I think Manny Diaz has a chance. We'll see what he can do. But Mark Rick brought them into the 21st century facilities wise and resource wise. And that is no small feat.
1: Well, I think we should wrap up for today. I know you've got a lot of sights to see here in downtown San Jose. It is a, a pretty setting. I just – it's just going to be kind of surreal to watch college football fans take over or maybe not take over at a downtown that is really – this is one of those, you know, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday kind of downtowns. There's not like a lot going on on the weekends usually here. So, uh, But not this weekend. Alabama Clemson fans, here we come. Um, if you happen to be listening to this in time – Bruce and I, and you're here, (laughs) Bruce and I will be appearing at the Playoff Fan Central, the Fan Fest at the convention center, at 2 p.m. on Saturday. So come by. We'll talk for a little bit. You can say hi. We'll talk football, and we'll have fun.
2: And we'll probably bring snacks from the media hospitality room to hand out.
1: Uh, Are you going to be signing copies of your book? Only if they bring it. I I didn't bring any copies. I may sign
2: copies of Ritz Bits and whatever else.
1: Bring Bring a a copy of one of Bruce's books, and he'll sign it for you. All right. We'll see you next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel on Twitter, and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB, and subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't done so already. You can try it for free, seven day free trial at TheAthletic.com free trial. So come on,
3: get over here. Ah, yeah. Oh, we'll talk about it for years. Ah, yeah.